1,000 better stories. Welcome to 1,000 Better Stories, the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network's podcast sharing stories of community-led climate action in Scotland to help us all imagine a better and fairer future beyond the new normal and transform what we think is possible. Happy New Year and welcome to our first episode for 2022. My name is Kashka Hempel. I'm one of SCAN's story weavers and your host for today. Anyone in the climate action community hardly needs a reminder that last November, leaders of the world met for the 26th of the international summits, aiming to agree on steps to tackle climate emergency. Given the state of the climate today, many believe that this was the world's best last chance to get runaway climate change under control. There's been much analysis on whether that hope has been fulfilled and that's been covered in great detail elsewhere. But whatever the political outcome at the global scale, this particular conference of parties was bound to have a powerful meaning for community climate action here in Scotland. Not surprising given that it took place right in our backyard in Glasgow. The opportunity to get involved as individuals or grassroots organisations kept many of us incredibly busy for most of last year. There was really so much on offer in Glasgow and elsewhere. So while negotiators and lobbyists got on with their formal business at the Blue Zone, at the Scottish Events Campus, across the River Clyde, the Green Zone was buzzing with a busy programme of stalls and activities from business, cultural organisations, civic society, open to the public. And beyond the walls of the centre, Glasgow was awash with hundreds more, including People's Summit and the March for Global Day of Action for Climate Justice, organised by the COP26 Climate Coalition, which is a global coalition of lots of civil society organisations. And that's not all. COP26 fringe website put together by Stop Climate Chaos Scotland listed hundreds of events held by communities across the whole country uh, during COP, ranging from film screenings to gardening sessions. And then there was also September's Climate Fringe Week and even more in between. I'm really, I'm getting a bit dizzy and breathless trying to list it all. So while the doors of the Blue Zone were really close to the majority of us, There was so much on offer within the community. Now that everyone's had a couple of months to catch their breath, we've asked uh, a handful of SCAN members about their involvement in COP and their thoughts on its impact on community climate action in Scotland. So bringing focus from the global to very much local perspective. They shared lots of interesting resources and recordings with us, so we collected a list of links in the episode notes so you can explore them uh, after you've finished listening uh, for more inspiration. And in the spirit of Scanned Storyteller Collective, at the end of the episode, we also feature a teaser for another one of our fabulous Scotland-based podcasts focusing on climate action uh, called Local Zero. Now, let's hear from our guests. 
To start, we asked everyone about their own and their organization's involvement in COP26 and any moments they found particularly memorable. We start with my story-weaving co-conspirator and her striking memories from the Green Zone. I will let her introduce herself. My name is Joanna Avilohi. Uh, I work for SCAN, for Scottish Communities Climate Action Network, as a story weaver and uh, event coordinator, and I'm based in Edinburgh. For me, it was definitely very moving to to be there that day and to have uh, all these people there and feeling it was a, a good space for us to gather, you know, especially after a year of, of pandemic, it was an opportunity for us to gather in person and really bringing the spirit of community to Glasgow. I mean, for me, with all the bad things or or not so good things that that uh, that came out of COP26, I think that that event for me was incredibly beautiful and moving. I think that we need more of that. We need more of what happened on that day, even though it was on COP26 and it was just the community space next to this massive space with all the um, corporations have their, you know, greenwashing uh, exhibitions, walkabouts. Um, I, I, it, it felt real. So that that was my experience and, and what I keep in my memory and, and in my heart that happened that day that I want to continue. The events that we had for the COP were uh, We Are Net Zero Nation, uh, which was a a one-day exhibition stall at the Green Zone. And we had Climate Reflections and Witness Report Series, which was a two-day event at the National Mining Museum in Newton Grange, uh, south of Edinburgh. So in a location and a venue and for a community that is not very commonly associated uh, with community climate action. So the mining communities are often seen as sort of a villain because they are um, associated with with coal extraction. Um, But what the National Mining Museum does is to tell the history of coal and to tell the history of the mining communities. Um, So we thought it it was very interesting that they were keen on this project, that is the Midlothian Climate Beacon, which was a project funded by Creative Carbon Scotland that funded several venues and community organizations to create events and exhibitions uh, around COP26. For us, Climate Reflections was particularly important to have in a setting like this and to put all of these people uh, together in the same space. So we had Scottish communities and their climate action areas, a photographic um, exhibition next to uh, other photographies by Nicole Manley uh, that documented um, climate disasters, namely floods uh, in both in Scotland and in the Philippines, and also the loss of biodiversity. Uh, and then we had a panel uh, discussion of, of women that work uh, in climate action, both in the global north and global south, um, around what does community climate action mean for them and what they do uh, as activists, researchers, community climate uh, workers. We also had the screening of, uh, of short films associated with, with these people that spoke. We Are Net Zero Nation was quite different. Uh, it was a very, very intense event. I mean, from my experience with scan events, most of them being online because I started working as an event coordinator during during the first lockdown, but it was very, very intense, like a non-stop people passing by and stopping and asking questions and wanting to, to get engaged. So it was a very different experience from anything that I had because suddenly you have all these people from all over the world that are there 
wanting to hear stories. Um, and that's what we brought with. We are Net Zero Nation. In this case, specific stories of uh, Scottish communities and their projects. So we had a film of several short films produced by uh, 11 uh, of our members uh, of community groups and organizations. And we had uh, photographs uh, and live presentations as well. Outside of uh, SCAN, I'm a research student and a writer. So I also attended COP um, on my own just to attend a few lectures, mainly on um, importance of mixing in Indigenous knowledge with Western science. I'm very interested to learn new stories that are completely different from what I learned in a Western civilization of looking at the world, looking at the future. There were two things that I will probably remember for a long time. So one of them was a lecture. Uh, the people who presented it were the panel. Um, and I thought the stories that they told and the images that they shown were very powerful to me. It all really opened my mind to start imagining just my neighborhood a little bit differently because they invited us to like think, you know, if we if we put like respect for nature as a priority is in everything you do and everything you think and every step you take, you always put that as a core value. How would the world look? And of course, I cannot imagine the whole world because I don't even know the whole world, but I can imagine my neighborhood very clearly. Um, and that was an image that I will, I will carry on with me, hopefully, to try to make that change. The other one, very powerful image, and this one is, is quite disturbing. There were a selection of short films for an award at the end. So this was the last day. And one of them was about the story of this activist in Hawaii, um, this musician and who was persecuted and murdered, I think, in some way. And there was a very powerful image of him as a child, looking at the, the atomic bomb tests being made on these islands that were sacred to them. Um, you know, so, something that we know today that is so destructive for humanity that is, is the opposite of sacred. I don't want to see anything like that continuously happening again, that we cannot hold some things as sacred. Our next guest works with migrant communities, which brought him close and personal to the march through the streets of Glasgow on the 6th of November, the International Day of Action for Climate Justice. My name is Cornell Hengsenfu. I work for an organisation called SEMVO Scotland. SEMVO stands for Council of Ethnic Minority Voluntary Organisations. Um, and as part of that, I work in the environment and climate change arm of that. Um, and what that work details is mostly coordinating the ethnic minority environmental network. And we're based all across Scotland, representing different communities within the network and also some organisations within the UK as well. I personally am based in Edinburgh, but the organisation is based in Glasgow. The way that the Ethnic Minority Environmental Network got involved was in three different ways. The first one was there was the Climate Justice March, um, the Global Day of Action for Climate Justice on the 6th of November, which ended up seeing about 100,000 protesters coming out, people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different organisations. And what Eman did, along with a lot of other um, racial equality organisations around Scotland, is organise a core group within that protest. 
and we worked with um, COP26 Coalition and Stop Climate Chaos Scotland, um, who organised the entire march and other mobilisations around the world and the UK. But basically, the way that that march worked was people were separated into different blocks. These blocks would represent different groups with different interests, which tied into climate change. So you get your you've got Extinction Rebellion who do a lot of this stuff. You've got like a youth block. You've got a block that is representing union workers. But at the front, and this was a representative of what COP26 Coalition wanted and what had been a failure of different protests is to really put the people who are affected the most by climate change at the front. And that tends to be firstly Indigenous people. So that was the first block at the front of that march. And then we helped organise the second block just behind them, which was the anti-racism and migrant justice block. And that saw about 200 people of very, very diverse backgrounds um, from around Scotland and some outside of Scotland coming in and marching there. So that was the first one. The second one was we were offered a space in the green zone. So in a much more official capacity, we offered that space to one of our members who's um, migrants organizing for rights and empowerment. And they'd been doing a lot around, they were part of the march as well. And so we gave them a space to be recognized for their work between for climate justice within Scotland. The third thing was we were invited to a talk about racial justice in the climate movement and what needs to be done. Um, and we were there on, on a panel um, as a side fringe event of the COP events. And then many of our members were doing their own events as part of the climate fringe, varying of different workshops, people were teaching, people were having climate cafes, people were marching themselves, very various um, activities there. Those kept me quite busy and then just trying to keep up with the actual proceedings of the conference and working at the same time. So it was quite a hectic time because I wasn't there every day. So I was just mostly reading news and getting live updates as it was going and trying to use that to tie into what was happening on the ground and as people were organizing, which was which is very difficult because like especially when panels and things, people would be asking about proceedings that were happening on that earlier that day and different outcomes that had happened from that day. And these are only like short lines that we have been given, not a lot of depth of information. So that's what came out of a lot of COP was this, you know, a lot of things where people were promised or people had, had said they were going to do some things. And I think there's a lot of apprehension on the ground. So what, what that really translated to was people trying to have a louder voice and trying to push more for better outcomes and just more ambitious outcomes. I think that was the general vibe on events and different people working at in different spaces in terms of civil society. The one moment that really struck me was while I was in the green zone, I was lucky enough to go to a specific panel talk. And that panel talk was on um, various um, Indigenous people from around the world speaking on their experiences and their particular action. And one, the perspective of what they go through and what they're currently going to have to go through if you know that 1.5 degree target isn't hit or certain protections aren't made for them was fascinating and interesting in itself. But what I found even more interesting was that there was one woman who was speaking from um, remote communities in, in Alaska. 
And then there was another woman who was talking from remote communities from Pacific Islands. And then there was another person who was talking from, I think, Ghana. So there's, there's a whole bunch of different Indigenous communities who have found similar ground into how they're fighting and like how things are affecting them. Things are affecting them in different ways, but they're still being affected most heavily compared to other places. And so hearing their story, hearing how they have joined forces and kind of got together to become this united front for Indigenous people was, I think, one of the most impressive things I've seen because it's so difficult to do that, even on a small community level, to do that with Indigenous communities with very different um, cultural um, backgrounds who are thousands and thousands of kilometres away, I think is real testament to the need of and the um, desire that they have for proper action. The Day of Action March was a part of many personal experiences of COP26. As you will hear from the next two guests, they also share how their organisations used COP26 for local engagement in Dundee, Kokori and across Fife. I think, I think the most standout moment of COP for me was going down um, on, on the big march on the Saturday. That was incredible. After having not been at anything for a long time with, with COVID, it was really, really amazing to see so many people out and, and all the banners and all that artwork. It was just absolutely amazing. I felt quite energised again after that. <laughs> We actually ended up um, quite near the front of the march, me and my, my um, friends that went down and we were with the Indigenous groups or we were just behind them and just um, seeing the, the energy from them. And yeah, just I, th- I think it was amazing that, that they were really put at the, at the front of the march and given the voice that they weren't given at COP. I think I hadn't really realised how little of a voice they had gotten at COP until, until that day and it really hit me. My name is Lindsay Penny and I work at the Gate Church Carbon Saving Project in Dundee. Uh, and our project is mostly focused around saving waste, but also helping people in need and trying to change uh, behaviours and attitudes towards the climate emergency. We did quite a few different things. So I think the main thing in Dundee was the, the council actually arranged a kind of network um, which brought together community groups, activist groups, there was some museums like the, the V&A and the Science Centre and some corporate groups were all involved. And yeah, we came together quite early in the year and started planning a calendar of events. So uh, we, we did a couple of um, workshops. We did, you know, giveaways of, of stuff that, that we've been donated, clothes. We did an event at the fridge um, to promote food waste and, and what that meant for, for climate change. And we did yeah, a couple of events with the university as well. And they were doing a big event around fast fashion during COP. And um, so just lots of different events. Our project is quite wide and we cover quite a lot of different things. So yeah, we took part in a few different things. The main one was probably the launch of the Dundee Cycle Hub in Dundee. So the council organised a big launch event and we had, um, there was a, a giant puppet that came around. I think she'd been touring the, the UK. Um, so she was in Dundee and and we all had stalls. We were showing people what they could do with, with fabric waste. That was to promote our um, clothing reuse project. Um, so we had people making things out of lots of different scraps and, and it was great. It was so busy. There were so many people and, and people were much more engaged than what we expected. So it was so busy. I didn't really get a chance to notice what was going on with COP because we were so busy. But it was good. 
I'm Andrea Elder and I am the Communications and Events Coordinator at Greener Kirkcaldy and Greener Kirkcaldy are a community organisation um, helping the community to tackle climate change. We are also the lead par partner on a more regional project, Climate Action Fife. We're based in Kirkcaldy, sort of near the town centre. We hosted a few events under the Climate Action Fife umbrella one trying to demystify COP as a concept for some people. Um, so we had presentations from the Wellbeing Alliance, Sniffer and Greener Kirkcaldy, just trying to explain the concept of COP and what was going to be discussed at the conference and what might have come out of it at the time. And that was back in October. Before that, in September, we also held an event called Line in the Sand in Kirkcaldy, um, but there was organisations across Fife that did it too. Uh, so they did one in St Andrews, Dalgetty Bay, and was it Buckhaven as well. On different days, 19th and 24th of September, groups made a line in the sand, held up placards, standing for climate action. And that attracted over 900 people from Fife to these various events. I myself went to the green zone during COP um, a couple of times, just having a look around as well. There were COP events from other providers in the city centre, and that's one of the events I went to, talking about young people and climate change and how that affects businesses. And I learned a lot about the Children's Climate Assembly that was made up by young MSPs and it was made up from a hundred children across Scotland sharing their views and just hearing just the raw views that they have is so impactful. Um, with adults, it's very pragmatic. It's very, yes, we could do this, but these are the steps we need to take it to do it. And then when it's stripped down to that base level of just, well, why can't we do this? And it's children sort of going, look, we've got to do this drastic change. And when children are so aware of it, that really hits home. Like eight-year-olds know exactly what problems we're facing and they have ideas they want to help. And sort of not enough when not enough is getting done, I can imagine it being really frustrating as a child not being able to actually do much themselves apart from uh, sort of recycling, reducing plastic. There's basic things children can do, but they don't have massive control over anything. What I actually did see a lot of um, was I just when I got the bus through to Glasgow, so you have to walk pretty much right through the city centre to get to the green zone of COP, and you, you sort of get immersed in a lot of the protesting that was going on. Uh, I saw an, a lot of that, a lot of placards, a lot of people dressed up, uh, just trying to make that point and I think as I was coming out of Glasgow on the first day traffic was getting blocked by the first big protest and the first big walk through Glasgow and it was quite an atmosphere actually um, you could sort of just feel the passion from people and feel you just feel an immense atmosphere there because everyone's feeling the same that's walking down these streets and they're standing up for what they believe in. And I've never really been around anything like that before. So it was really interesting to get the people aspect of COP, not just the 
businesses sort of showing what they're doing and organisations that are making a difference, the actual people on the ground level that are making a difference as well. I think another thing I saw as well, um, usually when there's big events on, you'll see loads of litter and a lot of things having to get picked up. But because all these people who were protesting are climate conscious people, there was barely any litter. Um, so litter pickers were going along as part of the like protest as well. So like, there was actually very little left behind as well, which was pretty cool. Climate Action Fife is just one of the fledgling regional networks of community climate action projects. Next, we hear about Aberdeen Climate Action and NESCAN, or North East Scotland Climate Action Network, and how they took uh, voices from their communities to COP. I'm Alison Stewart. I am the hub manager for North East Scotland Climate Action Hub, which is a pilot Um, one of two pilot regional community climate action hubs here in Scotland that's fully funded by the Scottish Government. I also set up Aberdeen Climate Action about seven years ago with Eric Dahlhausen and I've been running that too. I'm based in Aberdeen and the um, Aberdeen Climate Action and NESCAN hub cover both Aberdeen City and Aberdeen Shire. NESCAN um, put in a a bid to go to to the Green Zone and we were successful so um, the network um, put together with quite a few other organisations, both nationally and and locally, three different community interactions, as it were, to take to COP with us. So we had a questionnaire that went out to talk about people's feelings about just transition in the area. We created a um, a style community visioning uh, event and run 10 community events throughout the city of Shire, um, based around what people felt that they wanted their community to look like by 2030, taking into account what we need to do for climate change. And that was really fun. And we, we got artists to come along, people were encouraged to draw out their, their visions. Uh, and then we also had a, a secondary and primary school school competition. Where we asked the kids the same thing, and, you know, in some way, in some creative way, can you show us a vision of what you want your community to look like by 2030? And that was just fantastic. We had, um, you know, the kind of stop, start Lego videos and Minecraft and poems and plays and, um stories and drawings just everything so that was really good and we took um the images and the data and we put it together into a video a really long video that's on our website and a report and we took that to cop with us um and we took the um we also commissioned um uh, an artist to, to draw uh, a local artist to draw the whole of the vision if you so mean as well and we took all those um the artistic visions and the video to cop with us and we spoke to people at COP about that, but we're going to take that further and put recommendations to um, to local authority and central like government authority and anyone that can listen basically about what our um, the participants wanted, um, which is there. There's a, there's no su- real surprises there, um, but it just showed that the people that came along and participated uh, really are 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 behind uh, a move to net zero in a holistic fashion, which takes into account things like um, social equity and inclusion as well. That's very hard. So just transition. Obviously, there was only, what, 100 and, I don't know, 150 people that came to the events and about 
about 770 that did the uh, survey. So, I mean, it's limited in that scope. We had probably more more, more school school kids involved than, than any other kind of sector, as it were. Um, but it's a starting point. And the Hub is hoping to do um, some community climate assemblies in different wards. So do it in a more intense way. When I went down there, we I went down for three or four days. We went to the Green Zone on the Thursday, which was interesting. It only started really heating up, as it were, at around 11 o'clock. And we wasn't very well signposted. That could be done a lot better. Um, but it was really great to be in the Green Zone and have all these people come to you and gain lots of contacts. That was really positive. Um, but the next day, I just wandered around and, and saw some of the street art and went to some of the... Um, other uh, events that were done by civil society and got and got some really good ideas and also met up with people that as I say I hadn't really met face to face and that was just that was really good and it was good to do that the following day was the march and so we took part in the march and then I was asked to speak at a, a panel discussion for the Scottish government with the minister for just transition Richard Lockhead and um, also Jim Skier, Professor Jim Skier, who's the head of the just transition commission I think it's quite exciting the recognition now at that kind of level of the need to involve communities in decisions made or, you know, about communities that will impact on us. Because quite frankly, at the moment, what's happening is big business and, and government deciding most of the decisions and we need to have de- decentralised power. And that came actually quite strongly in the um, consultations that we did, again, the visioning. People wanted that power for themselves to decide what was going on in their community. And it works really well in different countries to have that kind of level of decentralised power. So I did that. I, I did that discussion on the panel and I met some great people and I was really enthused by that. Um, and then we had the award ceremony as well um, that SCAM was nominated for. So myself and a few other SCAM board members went because I'm also helping with SCAM. And that was really good. We met Chris Dark and that and danced with him and Professor Jim Skier was on the table. So we managed to talk to him again. There was a lot of really amazing projects and people there. So there was a lot of really good amount of energy. I think the best bit of COP was the March, People's Rally. It was a bit boring at the start, waiting in the park, but once we kind of started weaving our way through and just seeing the different people there and the energy and the and the, the, the chants and the music and just the sheer energy, it was just amazing. And to be part of that, to be part of history, to be part of a global movement was just, just really, just amazing. It made you feel like, that people, people are rising up, that, that it gave you hope for the future. Our last guest tells the story of a physical journey from Dunbar to Glasgow that he made as a participant in pilgrimage for COP26 and how he saw it bringing communities and individuals together. My name is Philip Revel. And I'm based in Dunbar in East Lothian. And I'm part of a community group called Sustaining Dunbar, which is a community development trust with an explicitly green agenda, I suppose. What we're trying to do is to um, create a community in which everybody can thrive within a flourishing environment. So we're thinking about what impact our community has globally, as well as just thinking locally. We cover the not just Dunbar Town, but um, Dunbar and District, including quite a large number of villages and the larger settlement of East Linton, where there's actually another group which is affiliated to Sustain Dunbar called Climate Action East Linton, which is a very dynamic, um, energised group at the moment. 
through being um, involved with Sustainabar, I, I, I helped to set up SCAN uh, whenever it was, 2012, I think it was, uh, as a peer-to-peer -peer network of, of communities that at that time all had or had uh, at one time received funding from the Climate Challenge Fund. I'm still closely involved with, with SCAN um, as part of one of the core team, uh, and I'm currently convener of SCAN. Sustainable mostly got involved with COP26 through helping to organise the pilgrimage for COP26, particularly people within Dunbar who are part of the Friends of John Muir's birthplace. Originally hatched an idea actually of a pilgrimage from Dunbar to COP26 and then we got to hear about the separate pilgrimage which was being planned from Edinburgh to COP26 by Jonathan Baxter. So we looked up with him and eventually then there was a sort of joint pilgrimage from Dunbar to Glasgow and COP26. So Sustainable Bar's most my main involvement was in helping to organise the launch events around the pilgrimage for COP26 uh, in conjunction with uh, a local arts organisation called Northlight Arts, which was actually the main organiser. Uh, so it was a whole programme of events on the Sunday before the pilgrimage set off uh, with a whole lot of children's activities and um, activities down the, in, in Lordlow Park and then a whole range of activities down at uh, the harbour to actually formally launch the, the pilgrimage. Uh, and then in the evening there was a talk by Alistair McIntosh um, to, um, in one of the local church halls which um, where Alistair was talking about the, the place of pilgrimage today really. I mean, separately, Climate Action East Linton um, did um, organise a, a community film screening of some, some of the um, Take One Action films uh, and then a discussion around COP26 after that. And also the phone box on, on East Linton High Street uh, um, now, and they used that as a way of inviting people to send messages to COP26, and particularly children sent lots of messages to the leaders by posting them on the, on the phone box. I did take part in the pilgrimage. Um, I, I took part in the first day from Dunbar to North Berwick, and then I had to duck out for a few days, but then I picked it up again for the second week. So I did walk from Edinburgh to Glasgow, which actually was a really nice thing to do. I was really glad that I took the time out to do that. Uh, it was really nice just to have a week to just walk from place to place with a really interesting group of people and a chance to reflect on what, what we're trying to do uh, and um, I suppose what was really inspiring was to meet all the communities on the way who um, hosted us in different ways or fed us or accommodated us and, and so on and just to see the different work which lots of different groups across the central belt are doing but also just just to walk from Edinburgh to Glasgow across the central belt was really quite an eye-opener for me because um, I, I've driven through on the M8 or travelled through on the back and forwards on the train, often enough it just takes 45 minutes so to take five days about walking up the uh, the fourth estuary through some lovely countryside which I've never visited before, through the Delmania Estate and the Hopeton Estate and then uh, seeing the um, former industrial areas around um, Bowness and uh, then up through um, Grangemouth, actually walking through the, the Grangemouth refinery. I hadn't realised there's a road goes right through the middle of Grangemouth refinery. Just, um, it was quite an experience actually walking through the middle of Grangemouth. It was all very noisy and just incredibly ugly sort of um, edifice, but it's just really interesting to think how we are totally dependent on this at the moment for our current lifestyles. It's really 
ugly bit of uh, industrial uh, infrastructure. And amidst all the ugliness of that, actually, that there was at the far end there was a grove of maple trees which, which um, had glorious autumn colours on them, which um, I, I found quite um, interesting. How nature just gets on with doing its stuff. We were met in Falkirk's Helix Park by a community choir and a bunch of children who'd made posters about um, Quad 26. And um, even though it was pouring with rain, it was an absolute deluge in Falkirk. It's just really inspiring to see all the different groups who are engaged, and, and particularly all the churches, and not just the uh, Christian churches, but um, the mosque in Falkirk, um, who, who fed us on one of the nights. And um, and then the reception we got at the end in, in the Gurdwara at, um, in central Glasgow from the Sikh community was um, re- really quite um, inspiring to see how, uh, if nothing else, COP26 has um, really engaged lots of people in talking about the, the climate emergency and the situation we're in. So that was very encouraging to, to see. I, I was briefly in the green zone um, on the final day, actually, um, to visit the, the stall that Scan had in the, um, the green zone as a whole. I, I found a bit... Um, there was a lot of greenwash around it, let's say, um, but the community stalls were actually very interesting to see. I did actually manage to sneak into a talk um, which Brian Eno was hosting, which was really talking about the role of the arts in um, bringing about transformation change, and that was actually very good, I have to say. It really was the pilgrimage as a whole was very memorable for me, and I'm still digesting everything I got out of that. But one of the people on the pilgrimage actually was a guy called David G, who's written a book I've been recently, which I've really been enjoying reading over the last couple of weeks, actually called um, Hope's Work. And there's a lot of insights in there, which um, they're, they're very similar, I suppose, actually, to the, the, the approach of active hope of Chris Johnston and uh, Joanna Macy and the work that reconnects. But uh, one of the key points that came out of it for me is that hope isn't something that you have it's something which you do you have to make hope um, and there's a quote from I think it's a Syrian refugee about uh, needing to make hope every day uh, and that for me is absolutely key uh, is that um, this is something we can do and it's easier to do collectively with other people uh, and, and I suppose the, the flip side of that is that you can't have hope without acknowledging the sort of despair and grief that you're bound to feel as well at the state of the world but uh, yeah what, what gives me hope I suppose really is um, seeing the work which people in communities across Scotland and globally are doing to where they're finding little niches little opportunities to sow the seeds of transformational change so yeah I, I really believe in the, the power of small actions to bring about big change collectively So listening to everyone's stories, I must say um, I'm a bit envious of their adventures um, in taking part in all those exciting community events in Glasgow. Um, I managed to miss out on those as I was busy in my hometown. Like many others that we've heard from, my community in Tayport chose um, a local focus in our response to COP26 although we also had a strong contingent taking part in a big march in both Dundee and Glasgow. Uh, when I'm not story weaving for SCAN, I work for PLANT, people learning about nature in Tayport, which is a 
part of Teapot Community Trust. And we run um, Teapot Community Garden and other projects aimed at helping people to live more planet-friendly lifestyles. And together with several local organizations, uh, we decided uh, to put on a three-day climate festival for September Climate Week, which is last week of September, to celebrate all we already do locally and, more importantly, to create a hunger for even more action on climate. So we had walks, markets, sing-alongs, kids' activities, performances, films and much, much more. It all came together because of the amazing contributors and volunteers who put in their bits and both the weather and the turnout were absolutely splendid and it was an amazing few days, or so I'm told, <laughs> because it's really a blur for me um, being one of the organisers uh, and I'm told everyone wants to make it happen uh, again this year. And But to give you a taste of it, um, I thought I could share some voices from a short film uh, documenting the festival. Uh, you can watch it in full on our website, tapeportgarden.org. So, what you can see like along around the estuary, thinking about the habitats that surround it. I've seen just lots of amazing things and amazing people. It's, the atmosphere is fantastic here. That just make you feel like happy you know it's like a happy environment and then even if you don't know people and the fact though you come here everybody just doing the little they can do just to show you know this is what we do in the community it was all happened under lockdown so i think it came out of the lockdown frustration so it was uh, during winter so everybody was basically stuck at home and uh, we were doing lots and lots of film screenings and sessions uh, about reducing your carbon footprint and gardening workshops online last year. And I think out of that sort of brewed up some um, idea that we should probably do more in Tapeport than we're doing about climate change. And with COP26 coming up, it's a good excuse to put something on. And we decided that Climate Festival is going to be the best way to generally create a buzz around the topic in Tayport and uh, bring people together and bring people out enjoying themselves. So I think local organising is the absolute backbone of the movement to um, tackle the climate crisis. There, we need everyone, right? We need everyone in every town and every village in Scotland and across the world to be speaking up for what we need to happen. Um, it doesn't work to just have a few people in a capital city talking about this. It needs to be happening in every town hall and every school across the country. Um, and so it's really great to be here today in Tapor and to see loads of people engaging with all the different local activities that are happening and also thinking about how they can uh, make their voices heard um, in the halls of Holyrood and Westminster with things like uh, the Cambo campaign.
sing it first, then you can sing it back to me. As a folk musician, I am drawing on a whole repertoire of music where for hundreds of years people have used the genre of folk music to protest about whatever is um, being a problem in society at the time. So for me it makes perfect sense to use folk music to here in 2021 protest against climate change which is one of the, if not the, leading uh, dangers and issues that face uh, my generation. I think that having these sorts of spaces that we're sitting in right now where we've got tapework residents in a tapework building that they'll be very comfortable and familiar with and have seen in lots of different settings, uh, being able to talk to each other and discuss the artworks that are on view, um, I think it really, the locality of it brings it home as a topic. I love feeling part of a community. I think everyone likes to feel they belong. If you see what other people are doing, you tend to want to be part of what is normal. They say that one of the strongest indicators of you getting a solar panel is whether your neighbour has one. Low carbon living has often got a um, negative stereotype about reducing life and, and making things sort of less fun, but actually you can have a really good time and still on a very low carbon budget um, and you don't have to be, you know, expending a lot of energy with stuff when you can actually just have community together and that's actually quite low carbon and really good fun. So uh, the festival was not enough for us because we obviously gluttons for punishment and we followed it up uh, uh, with a pop-up Tapeport 2030 event which coincided with the Day of Action March in Glasgow and we had 40 people come together for an afternoon and take time to journey into the future imagining what we would like Tapeport to look like in 10 years time. And it was an incredible gathering, not least because it was the first time many of us got together in such a large group since the lockdown measures started two years ago. Uh, so it was a bit nerve wracking at the same time, a bit exciting, but also because there was so much energy and enthusiasm in the room. Uh, we had ideas for rewilding, e-car shares, people-friendly and rejuvenated main streets, um, main shopping street. We also had a water taxi connecting Tayport Harbour with Dundee and the new Eden project site across the water. Um, all sorts of wild stuff and uh, all sorts of practical stuff as well. Uh, and we are now 
taking our time to work on ways to take practical steps to implement some of these visions for the future uh, and developing new collaborations between plant and local organizations which um, were basically thrown together or brought together for the festivals and for the visioning event. Throughout the whole process, we've been really lucky uh, to be working with a young uh, creative practitioner, Zoe Swan, uh, as part of the Cultivate project. And she's helping us document our visions for the future in an inspiring way, uh, more inspiring than we can put uh, together, and uh, to make sure that we include young voices by working with the local primary school just now. And we are planning another event in March to showcase her commission to the wider community and to hopefully bring even more people on board. So exciting times. Um, and I'm very pleased to say that despite my reservations on um, what's, what's happened with COP uh, politically and globally in the blue zone, it had very positive impact on climate engagement in our own community. Um, but we still have lots of work to keep things going because engaging is a great first step, but we really need to convert it, this engagement into practical local solutions. So what did our guests think COP did for their communities and community climate action more widely in Scotland? we we'll start with Cornell. For people who have been working in climate action, mitigation, loss, damage, anything like that in the area, it's, it's a very tiring thing. But to have COP26 so close to home and for people to be able to kind of showcase what they're doing and then also tie that into the global aspect, I think has given some people a little bit of, uh, has re-energized them. I think it's just shown that there is a hunger for climate action and then the communities have seen what that hunger is on a global scale and then brought that back into their communities and say we want to show that we're doing just as much just like Tayport, lindsay also saw more people joining in her projects across the water in dundee as the wave of publicity hit uh, scotland last november i think the fact that it was in scotland this time at this really pivotal time you know during covid and at the stage that we're at with the climate emergency i think it's been great for you know galvanizing more people um to join these movements and to to care and to to do something and to persuade more people in their communities i think that's been really good cop 26 didn't really change what we do as a as a community group we're already doing quite a lot and i, I hope that the legacy of cop 26 you know stays for a bit and just that people don't just forget about it i think that's that's probably our our job now is to keep reminding people i don't think <laughs> that a lot came out of COP. I think that's been said by a lot of people, so I'm not saying anything anything new. There was a lot of good things said, but whether whether yeah it, it comes through or not, I'm not sure. There was so much going on. Even you know, I've got quite a few activist friends and they were all really stressed trying to do lots of events and it so it it was good, but it really, really exhausted quite a lot of people. So I think it's it's important now we put our energy into positive things and, and trying to increase the, the positive action that we're doing and not worry too much about, <laughs> about the results we've got. I think certainly in terms of the community and the work that we do, there was a lot more interest from people and, you know, they, they then start to see 
what you know the reason that we're doing the activities that we do why that's so important and, and what it means for for yeah our future they start to learn about climate change and they start to realize all the problems and, and some of the solutions and the things we can do I think it can seem quite daunting and quite scary and yeah there's we need to do a lot that's that's true but I think we just don't need to pressure people to do it all at once. It's just about getting people to take baby steps and the pressure should not be on individuals to make the bigger changes, but we can feel a bit empowered by making our own little changes as well. And that, that just helps with the kind of climate anxiety um, issues that we see, especially in younger people. But I know some older people that are, are feeling that as well. So it's just to give them a feeling of hope and that there is something we can do. And the more people that care, the more pressure there is on government. So it all it all ties in. It's just not about making anybody feel too bad about it. Andrea talked about how uh, Green Kakori and Climate Action Fife are converting that increased interest into um, more individual action on climate by providing appropriate support. I think the biggest thing it's done is raise awareness and more people sort of already coming to us saying, what can we do as well? That's That's been an impact that we've seen. And just the visibility on social media from us sharing tips, hints, even just things people can do, people are finding that really useful. And I think people are seeing the problem now and they just want to at least be able to do something about it in in their own lives. One, to help the planet, but two, to help themselves. Um, There's so much to prove that helping fight climate change is actually good for your mental health and your well-being as well. If you focus on the positives instead of getting bogged down in the negatives. And that's what we're all about. That's what Greener Kirkcaldy is all about. Um, taking that positive slant and just helping people do something and helping people out in life at the same time is just incredibly rewarding and the fact that there's more awareness for this and that makes us feel quite good about doing more of it in the future. As part of Climate Action Fife, if you look up the Big Five for Fife, you are able to pledge on one of five small actions that you can take in your everyday life um, to sort of reduce your carbon footprint, to reduce your environmental impact. Um, And that's stuff like reducing your energy use, eating more plant-based meals, um, cycling more often for local journeys instead of taking the car, buying second-hand clothes, and then actually something that's quite a big step, joining a local group that's fighting climate action. Um, we've got a few suggestions on the Climate Action Fife website as well. So there's definitely plenty you can do, plenty you can get involved with. Alison pointed out the importance of using people's voices to keep up the pressure on the governments and about the first steps in the development of the Regional Climate Action Hub. So NESCAM, we were a regional COP26 hub. So that was actually something that was really good that came out of it, a nat- and nationwide, a UK-wide um, coalition of hubs um, being in contact with each other. It's still ongoing now. And I think the main um, drive for me in relation to community climate action to do with COP was just the coming together of communities and sharing ideas from across the world. And it was really amazing to have some people that you'd only worked with virtually to meet them face-to-face. So it was really good for 
for communities coming together and showing solidarity. You can see that particularly within the march because COP26 was held in our country. So now people are really on it. They're really talking about, they know they need to be, and we need to not lose that momentum. So it's just a matter of building on that and just keeping the pressure on our government and other governments to do what they say they're gonna do and make sure that next year, that COP27, which is crucial, really crucial now, because so much of the things were parked into that COP, it gets the same kind of amount of attention uh, and pressure on government. But really what we have to do now is just keep, keep going keep that level of interest in public up as well by just doing more events um, and more yeah and more pressure on on our elected representatives i mean we've got climate week northeast uh, which is an annual 10 days event here in the northeast of scotland um, going on between the 18th and 27th of march there's a lot of online events so people can can join us not just in the northeast um, and that's kind of doing a mapping event to check out what's going on here locally really on projects so we know what's going on um, and also what partners are out there so we can match people up with the, with the you know people that can give them what, what they need and when there is that gap then we'll help to supply to supply uh, the information and, and resources needed to close it there's so much energy that goes on within local groups it's, it's a matter of them realizing what what is going on around them so they can share knowledge and that um and they can get the right uh, support to uh, to develop their projects and their community climate action and that's really crucial that we could all, I think, need um, to, to be very wise in how we use our resources. That really means sharing out. That means not reinventing the wheels. So I think it's really important that we have um, repositories of knowledge and peer, and peer support and peer learning going on. And finally, we hear the SCAN perspective from Joanna and Philip. I think it meant uh, stronger connections, um, at least uh, judging from the experience of SCAN, like we already had some relationships, some connections, some new members that came from this event. Our member, Afinhorn Foundation, that was part of that uh, event, just got a grant to organize an event in the Finhorn Foundation for SCAN members, and we are already making plans uh, with these groups. And we also want to take this project, both We Are Net Zero Nation and Climate Reflections, further and make them like an itiner itinerary exhibition that can keep collecting, well, reflections in the case of climate reflections and, and collecting more stories of community climate action towards net, net zero goals in Scotland with We Are Net Zero Nation. So we think that what happened in COP is something that will continue. It was not just about the COP. So for us, it was not about putting on a show or an exhibition that was just for COP26. It's about starting something. We all had our minds and our hearts together on the same day, and that doesn't disappear just because the COP, just because the COP ended. So I hope that other people that work with Community Climate Action and feel like me, that this was a great gathering that we can now keep taking on a journey towards net zero and towards more respect for each other in our, our environment. I think what COP26 has provided an opportunity for more people to engage with climate action and well, talking about the crisis that we face in terms of the climate and nature emergencies. So I think it, what it has done is give people permission to have these conversations. And it certainly has raised awareness. So I think that's crucial, really. And we need to be able to find ways to really follow through with that. Whilst it has raised awareness and engaged people, it's, there's a risk also that um, people are left feeling rather hopeless in the face of the overwhelming 
challenge that we face and, and the enormity of the changes which are needed to transform a very entrenched um, system. So I think what's going to be really important is creating spaces where we can generate a feeling of agency and um, generate a sense of active hope, I suppose I would call it. For SCAN as a whole, um, whether it's coincidental or not, I don't know, but the, the Scottish Government is now giving us much more funding to um, promote community aid action across Scotland. We, we do now have more substantial funding to invest in regional level networking, which I think is hugely important, something we've been trying to do for many years. But also they're investing in uh, supporting us to roll out a climate for change program in Scotland, which is an Australian model of engaging people in conversations, um, creating these spaces in people's homes where they can have well-facilitated conversations with friends and neighbours seems like a really important thing to be doing to me. I'm very excited by the funding that we have from the Scottish Government to uh, adapt the Australian approach and roll it out across Scotland because it does really seem to be very successful. These stories represent really a mere fraction of the vibrant offering of COP26 related events across Scottish communities and a mere fraction of SCAN membership, but um, hopefully they capture enough of variety, excitement and even hope to inspire us as we enter the new year. As this is Scotland's year of stories, uh, we hope to help you tell even more inspiring stories about your communities working hard at creating a better future for everyone here in Scotland through our 1000 Better Stories podcast and now um, also a blog. Please get in touch uh, if you'd like to be involved in that. And if you would like to contribute your own story, we now have mini grants available for story contributors too. So uh, even more reason to uh, get in touch about that. If you'd like to learn how to tell your own climate action stories to better engage those around you, join one of our Stories for Change hands-on workshops starting on the 27th of January. Bookings are available through SCAN Eventbrite. And to finish, we would like to share another podcast teaser. Uh, as I was keeping an eye on COP26 coverage, I discovered another Scotland-based climate podcasting gem, Local Zero. And to whet your appetite uh, for all they have to offer, I will leave you with a wee introduction from the hosts. Hi, I'm Dr. Matt Hannan. And I'm Dr. Rebecca Ford. And along with our colleague, Fraser Stewart, we're the co-hosts of Local Zero, a podcast all about local climate action. We're all based at the University of Strathclyde, and our mission on the pod is to have accessible conversations about real-life, practical and local solutions to climate change. So as well as being a tribute to one of the greatest ever Scottish films, Local Hero, which is all about the impacts of energy on local communities, the name Local Zero was born out of the podcast's key focus, which is local action for net zero. And our themes and guests are hugely varied and diverse, just like the topic of local climate action for net zero. And this really reflects the complex and bustling landscape at this level. We put out new episodes every fortnight, looking at the exciting and innovative action taking place in our communities, our homes, our towns and cities. Basically anything that's happening right on our doorsteps. And actually COP26 was right on our doorstep here in Glasgow, where we all live, which we obviously made the most of. 
The Local Zero team were out and about every single day recording with the various people we met and the impressions that we got. I took part in the climate march with my own kids, which was fascinating insight and something that we really enjoyed recording. We also undertook a live debate about local action to deliver a just transition. We were joined with Scottish Government's Minister Richard Lockhead and Head of Scotland's Just Transition Commission, Professor Jim Ski. And while Matt and Fraser were schmoozing with the ministers, I was freezing my butt off during the four-day Moving for Climate Now bike ride. So if this sounds like something you want to hear more about, do find us and subscribe to the pod at podfollow.com forward slash local zero. So without further ado, here's a small excerpt of a chat between Becky and I, where we took stock of all that happened at COP26 inside the heart of Glasgow's Blue Zone. So I have finally found Becky in the Blue Zone. She's, she's here. She is real. Uh, we're, we're sat together just having a cup of tea, cup of coffee, recharging our phones. Um, so Becky, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited to finally see you. I can't believe it's taken us this long. But uh, actually enjoying today, I think, the most out of the days that I've been in either the blue or green zone. And I think for me, that's because it's actually all about local action and action in cities and so far more the sort of stuff that i am deeply passionate about so so it's it's built environment cities day essentially so we've we've sat through through all sorts and maybe before we kind of get stuck into that was it yesterday or the day before you finished your ride yes it was the tuesday tuesday we finished the ride oh absolutely amazing and obviously an entire episode of the pod about that so listen to my uh painful journey from uh, edinburgh to glasgow via lots of other places well and congrats because it was some ride well so it's pretty amazing you you managed to even do it at all so you know and not being a cyclist as well <laughs> and that as well yeah you had, had most things against you yeah you triumphed um so yeah i think this is possibly our last day in the blue zone so we're trying to make the most of it we've been sitting through um few different events this morning so you were in the science pavilion is that the met office pavilion it is, yeah. So I was in there um, at a fantastic event which launched the summary report for urban policymakers of the IPCC sixth assessment report. So the IPCC is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And fundamentally, this was about bringing together different aspects of that IPCC report, but recognising that cities and regions are absolutely fundamental to delivering some of um, the actions that need to address uh, mitigation and adaptation solutions. And so looking at how you can translate the science into something meaningful for local leaders. So absolutely brilliant. Okay, so this was a a cross work package so for those who aren't quite sure what the IPCC do they essentially collate and also critique the evidence base uh, on climate change across three streams uh, the first is around climate science the second is around mitigation and the third is around adaptation so they were dealing with these three themes mm-hmm. the climate science around how climate change is um, potentially going to affect cities yeah. or the built environment and then also questions about how we mitigate climate change in the cities yeah. but but how we also make changes to live yeah. with, with with that yeah absolutely and I mean the, the discussions were fabulous but I'll, I'll summarize I think for me there were three key areas of discussion that are absolutely critical and the first was um, on the need for systems change and I think sort of getting at this cross work package aspect yeah. really pulls that in and And, you know, they were talking about that we need to see these kind of simultaneous changes in our energy systems, in our industrial systems, in our land and ocean ecosystems and in our urban and infrastructure systems. And we can't do these separately. We've got to do them all together because they're all interconnected. 
And we need to be implementing this across the sector and across different scales from very local to national to international. And what that means is that we need to engage a diverse set of stakeholders and we need to bring together adaptation and mitigation measures, which are often right. considered separate. So I want to I pick, pick that up because I've sat through various talks over the last few days, last couple of weeks, and I find that fascinating. There are certain measures which can do t- two things at once. So I maybe bring in two examples. One would be... Um, the uh, planting of trees in cities where they can offer shade, uh, they can soak up water in case of flooding, but also they can sequester carbon. And the other that I hear a lot of is solar panels where these can generate low carbon electricity, but also offer shade, uh, particularly relevant in the sub-Saharan Africa and and other countries along that equatorial belt. The other two points that came out out of the session are what excited me even more. The second point, I guess, then was around partnerships, laying out that actually we have a real challenge if we're trying to upscale ambition you know across 200 countries over 5,000 places and you know into the tens and hundreds of thousands of organizations that are going to be working on this and that requires new forms of partnerships so we need to go beyond just kind of private and public partnerships one example that was given was looking at um, something called P4 so looking at all the four P's people planet place and performance so really focusing on those four areas to create um kind of partnerships amongst a diversity of stakeholders that work across these things um, underpinned by trust because you need the trust when you're bringing that many uh, different partners together to deliver on people planet place and performance wow so so uh, yeah a lot to absorb and this was obviously looking way beyond the uk If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like and maybe even a review. It will really help us reach a wider audience. If something exciting is happening in your own community, be sure to let us know so that we can help you tell your own story. Or maybe you would like to join our brand new Storyteller Collective. You can drop our Story Weavers a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk. To keep up to date, check out our website at scottishcommunities.org.uk or find us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram or simply sign up to the newsletter.